Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, people, you know, I always I always like to wear my sweaters, and I, I like to wear my leather jacket, and it's been so hot lately. But I found out I'm sort of a fraud because I don't really want it to be cold because I sat there all this weekend, and I wore sweaters, and I had an Argyle sweater on, and I wore it with shorts. And I sat there, I said, you know what? I always say I, I want to wear sweaters. And I just noticed this morning I came to the studio with jeans and a t-shirt. I don't think I've worn jeans and a sweater in almost like a year. And I'm sitting there thinking, I want to do it, but there's something about just being in California still where you sit there and you wear the sweater with the shorts. And I feel it's like when I was growing up down in the summers in New Jersey, and it's just, I have to get over it. I really have to sit there. I have to start wearing jeans again because I look like an idiot going out with shorts all the time. Anyway, enough about me looking like an idiot. Uh, we have, we have a great show today. Uh, uh, this uh, this woman, uh, Dana Gourier. How you doing? Hi. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem though. I was sitting there, we talked about your name and now mm-hmm. your name, the pronunciation, because it's G-O-U-R-R-I-E-R. That is correct. And um, It's a French name. And yeah, and, and most, I mean, a lot of like me, I see that <laughs> and I think that. Yeah. But I'm telling you, people must screw your name. I mean, All how? Tell the me, time. Tell me some of the bad ones. Because <laughs> the other night, someone, someone spelled, I went to get dry cleaning or something uh-huh. and I said, Cooper. Mm-hmm. And looking, they're looking in a case, which makes no sense. Yeah, and no. mine's are basic. What yeah. are some of the What are some of the ones you've gotten? I've gotten Gurrier, um, Gurrier, uh, Gurrier, uh, everything that it is not, and it's pr- simply pronounced Gurrier, just like you would pronounce any French last name or with an I E R, you add the A. So the ER at the end isn't pronounced. So. It's, it's easy. It's, it's, yeah. it, people just have it's a little sense. complicated. I feel, you know, I always help. I always prompt people and just to make sure that they get it. You know, I don't want them to feel like, you know, overwhelmed by. I get irritated. The Gurriers. I'm like, it's Cooper. <laughs> How do you get Cooper? How do you put copper? It's Cooper. Co- right, right, right. It's Cooper. Yeah. So now you're from New Orleans. Yes, sir. Born and raised. Now, at what age, because I know you also sing, uh-huh. at what age did you know you wanted to get into this whole profession? Did you Were you always acting? Because I know you've gone to school and you've gone to college, you've got your MFA, all that stuff. Right, but my MFA, what, yeah. What point in your life did you sit there? Was Were you a little kid and you, you were mm-hmm. attracted to it or how did it happen? Well, if I'm going to tell the story truthfully, there were two points in my adolescence. Um, the first of which was when I was about eight years old. Between the ages of like six and like nine, I was taking dance classes. And I remember, you know, cognitively re- feeling at this moment at eight years old, uh, knowing that I wanted to be in front of audiences. It was just I, I kind of got the bug way early on. But it was really solidified when I was 12 and I auditioned. I had my first audition and I auditioned for a Gershwin play called Strike Up the Band um, for North Theatrical Group. Um, yeah. And the rest is history. It never, I never got away from it. I tried, but it didn't really work out well. <laughs> well no, but that's, but no, it's amazing though, because you, yeah. you stuck with it and you knew. And as I said, a lot of times people sway away from it. Yeah. What did was there entertainment in your family at all? Well, first of all, my family, uh, I love you all, uh, but we we are uh, uh, a family of characters, to put it mildly. We're all hilarious. We're all, you know, um, sort of a little loud and different. Um, but to answer your question, yes, there there aren't any like sort of professional entertainers in my family, so to speak. But there were um, disc jockeys. My father was a radio personality. Um, my uncle Al and my uncle Mike, who still broadcasts on WRIR in Virginia. So the sort of entertainment vibe was music primarily was always running in the family. Like it was always like sort of and my uncle Al actually did um, want to be an actor. So it it definitely runs uh definitely runs in the blood. So So you sit there and you know you're solidified at twelve, you want to do this. <laughs> it's solidified. Yeah, it was I I, I knew at twelve. So yes, in sir. high school were you doing plays? Were you were you getting involved in it? Were you sitting there and saying, I'm gonna go to college for it, or did you just think maybe I'll just go to LA? I mean, as a as a because you're in New Orleans and now there's a lot of filming in New Orleans, but yeah, you know, a few years ago there wasn't. No, there was not. So what what do you sit there and decide you're going to do in high school? So in high school, uh, it was, this is actually uh, special to me. My freshman year, I went up for this part in this play called Flapper Girls. And I was the only woman of color, young uh, high school student of color in the play. And I played the maid. And, you know, at that time, you know, my teachers and my peers were kind of commending me for taking that role 
and being the only person of color in the play itself. Um, and it wasn't even on like a, in a, well, let's give her an award because of what she did. I actually was really, really good. And I kind of blew everybody out of the water and I just kind of stole the sa- stage for, for what it's worth. And that's not me being boastful or egotistical. That's actually just how it happened. Cause I've been in plenty of plays. Let me right. tell you, Steve, where I've not stolen the stage, but I did that, that particular evening and I won this best actress award, which was like a mock-up version of an Oscar. And I still have it to this day. And it's so, it's so special to me. I got it my freshman year. I'm, I wasn't more than 14 years old, maybe 13. I hadn't, I know I was like 14, maybe 13, 14. And, um, yeah, it just uh, it was it was a remarkable experience. Now, I have to be honest. So in high school, throughout high school, I did various plays. I was a part of speech class and whatever related to entertainment and performance. I was I was a part of those groups. Um, but there's a situation where I felt discouraged by um some comments that a teacher had made, which I won't repeat, but as an, as a, as a uh, high school student, as a teenager, I got real discouraged. I kind of got, you know, let down, if you will. And I, I pushed away from it. I felt impossible. I didn't think I could do it. And also, um, and this is no, um, uh, this is not to, uh, um, belittle my parents and their support because it's so huge, their support of me. Um, but when I was in high school graduating, it was like, okay, well now what are you going to do? You need a real job. You need to get, you know, a real career. And so I went into psychology and I did my best to go the straight route, if you will. And it was, I was miserable. I was like flunking out of school. I was just, you know, partaking in bad habits um, and just like really lashing out in in regards to not living the life that I wanted to live. And I sat them down one day, I pulled out an old acceptance letter to another school. At this point, I'm like flunking out of um, my first year of college. And I was like, I have to leave. If I don't go pursue this art form, I feel like I'm going to die. Super dramatic. But it's true, though. Way over the top. But it was absolutely factual. And a lot of times, you know, parents, our parents, you know, and I always say that to my parents, you know, they, they, they support you. They do. But a lot of times they're they're scared for no, us yeah. because this is, you know, mm-hmm. acting. I mean, it's such a it's such a scary field. And you're in New Orleans. It's not like you you're living in Sherman Oaks and you go, I want to act and they go, Okay, no. well just go down and then you'll see you'll see the mean business. Right. But here you know so so they, they support you now. They sit there and they, they decide you can They they supported me immediately when I they my my family knows me. And when I pulled out that acceptance letter and when I sat them down, I also wrote them this, my mother, a handwritten letter um, about my feelings on, on the subject matter. And I sat them down at the kitchen table. I'll never forget. And I was like, I want to leave. Um, I want to go and study theater and I want to do it in uh, out of town. I want to leave the city. And my parents looked at each other and they both just sort of together said, okay, all right. And the rest is history. Like they helped me sort of get all the necessities you need for a dorm room. And, you know, they made sure my dad made sure my car was in top shape to make the drive, et cetera. Like the, the list of how they have supported me, uh, over the years is, um, it's so long. I can't even begin to talk to you about it, you know? Um, and they've never looked back and neither have I. Um, and there's been some hard days, like some very hard days, some days where I'm like, what am I doing? How is this going to work? Is this even possible? I don't look like everybody. Is my talent just going to speak on its own? And am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Am I enough? You know, there's always those, you know, questions. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I haven't looked back and neither have they. They've, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow to accept that your kid wants to be an artist, no matter what kind of artist it is. That that's a that's signing up for a life of struggle and starving and woes and like <laughs> feeling like, can I do this? And always being hungry to have your art expressed and not always having the avenues or the means in which to do it. So uh, I understand those parents out there that are like, oh, my child, I'm scared for him. I don't know what is this is so unstable, et cetera. Um, but I commend the ones that are like, but we're going to figure it out and stand by them. You know what I mean? So you go to college for four years. Yeah. And then you decide to go get 
your master's not right i did decide to go get my master's and i didn't get in anywhere okay so now how did you feel your acting was in college because you already i mean you think about it mm-hmm. it's like i always talk about i used to do stand-up comedy and there's always everyone yeah. does an open mic and they and they have a great night and sure. your first play i mean like in high school yeah you kicked ass i mean you like you i mean you you I got did. an award so i did and yeah. any of us when we're young with we that little bit of cockiness but then you go to college and it's the big leagues were you were you nervous trying to make that transition a hundred percent my first audition at ul lafayette was for a play called proposals and i had a really good friend her name's dana michelle um we've been friends you know good friends over the years you know you drift apart come back um we were college friends and you know still in touch she's a great person anyway i digress she said to me one day um after my acting one class or whatever class it was at the time um she said you should audition for that you should audition for 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 clemma and i didn't think i was old enough i didn't think i was this enough i didn't I didn't think personally what that really comes down to is I didn't think I was enough. And then I was like, well, what do I have to lose? At least they'll see me, you know? And I ended up booking it and it was a huge success. And that would catapult me into what would be the next three years of constant shows. Like I was never not like in a show at, at in undergrad. Um, and so when I graduated, honestly, Steve, when I graduated and auditioned for graduate school at 22 years old and didn't get in anywhere. It was heartbreaking. It was like, oh, I can't do this. I'm not great. Um, And it was to me a huge loss, but they kept saying, you know, you're good, but you need real world experience. So went to a six week program, uh, went on a six week program to study method acting in New York. It was like my graduation gift. the program lodged us at Brittany dorms, which was affiliated with NYU. And the teacher that was facilitating the program was affiliated with NYU, um, Susan Grace Cohen. We were with her studio, her private studio. And I, you know, was in New York for six weeks and it was like, excuse me, five weeks. I'm so sorry. And the fourth week I went to see uh, Shakespeare in the Park. I went and saw Twelfth Night with Oliver Platt, Jimmy Schmidt, Julia Stiles. I love Oliver Platt. Oh my God, I love him. He's such a great He's guy. so brilliant. He's one of those guys that mm-hmm. everything he in is in is good. Everything he's in and he's thing just is so, so good. But a lot of people don't know who he is. I, and it gets yeah. you so pissed off. You're like, wait a yeah. second. He's always good. He's always solid. Always gives us a he and he was fantastic in uh Twelfth Night, which was the show. Uh uh we waited in line for hours for this show to get tickets you know how shakespeare in the park can be and uh, with the public theater finally get these fantastic seats these tickets we've watched a fantastic show and i'm just so inspired that on the walk from city i'm sorry from central park the theater the amphitheater from there to the a train i just made a decision and i was just like yeah i'm staying i'm not leaving and i never you know i just i just didn't look back i transferred my job and so you stayed in New York? I stayed in New York for what would become, that five weeks turned into five years. Oh, wow. So See, that's I, great, though. Yeah, I lived on 101 in Lexington, and I was on 111th between 2nd and 3rd. I was in like in Spanish Harlem, and I love my Spanish Harlem people so much because, you know, uh, I'm from New Orleans, but I get that I people think I look Latin a lot, Latina. And um, I would go to the grocery store, go to the bodega and go to get my like, you know, basic necessities. And they'd be like, hola, mami, como estas? I'm like, uh, oh, lo siento, no hablas español. And they'd be like, no hablas español. <laughs> tu madre no teach you? And I'm like, oh, uh, sorry, I'm actually not from here. They don't it is. You know, it'd be like a whole thing just to get toilet paper. Um, but eventually relationships were built and I learned names. And actually I learned a little bit a li- to speak a little bit. You know what I mean? So because, um, you know, when you're in a in an environment, you assimilate to the culture of that right. environment. That's the respectful thing to do, you know. And so that's that's how I went, you know. So I live next door to a firehouse, you know. That must uh, that must get uh, loud. You know, it's so funny. They didn't put the alarms on until they got to the corner, until they got to the main streets. Okay. Either it was either Second Ave or Lexington, and then they'd fire them up. But. Firehouses are so cool. Like I, I live in Burbank, and yeah. I, I see the guys, the firemen mm-hmm. shopping at Ralph's. Yeah, and it always amazes me. I love it. it. It's always full, and you're thinking. I always think, okay, now which one of these guys is yeah. cooking? I, I always think the same thing. Like, and then I, 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 I talked yeah, yeah. talk to a fireman, actually Jack McGee, <laughs> yeah, who's yeah. an actor, was on, and I said okay. he was a New York fireman years ago. 
And he said, oh, a lot of times we just, we take turns. It's like, there's a bunch of us know how to cook. And it always amazes me. It. And if it's, if it's, it's also goes with, you know, like Jack's Irish. So they would cook Irish food. If it's an Italian, you cook it down, what you grew up with. Right. And that's what's cool. Whatever cultural background you came from, that's, what, that's exactly. who's cooking tonight and that's what we're eating tonight. <laughs> I love that. And and it's so funny because I was telling somebody the other, oh, um, I went to a restaurant to meet a friend for lunch the other day and next to our table, four firemen came and sat and I was telling him how once upon a time in New York City, I lived next door to a firehouse, et cetera. And I was telling him that there were like three Mikeys in the firehouse. There was a Mike, a Mikey and another Mikey. And it was just, they were just such lovable guys. They would come over, we would bake them, you know, cookies or if, if my roommate was making cupcakes or whatever, we would like bring them over and they would eat and they would tell us if they were making this. It was really, really sweet. They were, re they always looked out for us. It was me and my roommate. Um, so yeah, I got a lot of love for the, uh, for the fire department gentlemen. So now when you're in New York and mm -hmm. you, you decided to set it for five years, are you pursuing theater? Are you pursuing TV? What? Cause I mean, mm -hmm. you're looking at your resume. You've worked, you've, you've had a great resume. You've worked Thank with some, you. I mean, some amazing, like the people you've worked <laughs> with for not, I mean, in, for not being working in TV and film for a long time, yeah. you've, I mean, you've worked with some Thank you so much. Big, uh, big way. I mean, like you sit there and go, holy, you know, I mean, we'll talk about Tarantino, but we'll talk also you did, you did true, uh, I mean. Um, true Detective. Yeah. I mean, you, so, and Treme, which was a great show. Treme, yes. But yes, no, okay, yes. so no, you're in New York. Are you concentrating on theater or what are you doing or what's going through your mind right now? Because you, you, you said, I'm making this decision. This play was great. But then also we know sometimes yeah. theater, it's hard in New York. It is. It, New York is unlike any city that that a person can experience unless they're there. It's just unlike anything ever. And I went there, this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young lady, and I really left like a grown woman, you know, in every sense of the word. Um, and it is because the, the city is so hustle and grind, you know. I did everything when I was there. I was primarily, my main source of income was um, waiting tables which I was really good at and I was a people person and um you know I used to really make really good money hustling uh, at waiting tables but in addition to that you know I did some off 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 Broadway stuff I did a lot of gigging and background vocals because as you know I'm a singer um you know did some things for different recording artists and did a lot of open mics did a lot of cattle calls I I did the the traditional uh, I've just moved to New York. I'm an actor and I'm getting in line thing. So I got in line and I, um, I did a lot. I've had a, I had a lot of different experiences as it relates to, um, the industry, not so much in film and television, but definitely theater and just like the beginning stages of what that life really means on your own and out of school and out of your comfort zone. So, um, and I had some really great experiences too. me and a very good friend of mine who's a writer here in town, um, by the name of Ryan Tavlin. He and I, uh, did a show together. We created it together. He wrote it. We produced it. Um, I mean, and it was the first experience I had at wearing multiple hats, not just being an actor. Cause, and I'm grateful for that experience at, at, at that age, because I think there are actors out there that take for granted the entire process, right? You know, um, not to down my f fellow brothers and sisters that are actors, but we tend to be narcissistic and we think it's all about us a lot of times. And the, r the truth is we're a, a thread in the tapestry. And I think if you are of the same group mind of that tapestry and, and, and of the, the, the thought process of this is about the piece, the ensemble, um, the completed work, um, uh, you'll do better work personally um, when you make it less about you. But I mean, I'm no guru. I'm just saying this is from my personal experiences. But that experience putting on um, the play that uh, we created, which was called the Treaty of Long Island City, um, was a pretty extraordinary experience. It was, you know, we bought a sofa from Kmart use it for the show and then return it. Isn't that terrible? I can't believe I just admitted that on air. But like, it was like hustle and grind. Whatever we needed to do to make the play get on its feet, we did it. That's fine. A friend of mine did Letterman and he got it. <laughs> he went to Bloomingdale's and bought a really expensive blazer. And it, as he performed, <laughs> he kept the tag on it because you can't sit. Stop. I love and, it. And then he returned to the next you day. Know, so it, it's, mean, you got to do that though. It's like, it's, but that's the part of the process. Yeah. You know? so that's the part of the storytelling of it all too, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. You know, I think it's those, you know, little moments that really give it the color like, so, of what it is. So you're in New York, you're doing the plays, and you're, and you're getting a, you're getting 
a, a very good knowledge. I mean, you, you're, you're learning, you're learning production oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now, when do you start sitting there and go, I, I need to come to LA or when does, mm-hmm. cause I know Treme was shot in New Orleans, I believe. Yeah. So, so when did you start trying to say, okay, I gotta, I'm going to try to do more TV or, or movies. What, at what point in your career did that happen? So uh, Katrina hit in, uh, Oh five. Right. And it was like, it kind of destroyed all of us. It, it was just the, what would um, become the, the worst next few years of everybody's life. We all had to pick up the pieces, no pun intended. Um, and it was really hard. So I spent another year after Katrina hit in New York. Um, and I had been offered an opportunity to audition to go on tour with the, that recording artist that I told you I'd done background vocals with. She was going all over the world with this group and um, it was going to be like that opportunity of a lifetime. Well, I didn't get it. I was um, I wasn't solid in the audition and it had proven to be one of the best things that could have ever happened because after that, um, I went home for a visit to recharge. And mind you, this is several months after Katrina had hit. I'm going back a little bit. This is after this major audition to change my life that I didn't get. I go home to recharge. This is like six months after the storm or something. And um, this is not the first time I'd visited the house. I saw it when it was gutted. But this is like my fourth visit since the storm. And something told me to go to the right side of the house. You know, um, intuition, instinct, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know what I call it. Something told me go to the right side of the house. Go to the right side of the house and there's this bin sitting on its side um, with all these highlighter pens, plays, notebooks, textbooks, you name it. All of what a college student would have in a bin that had just moved back home from, you know, graduating. And that's what happened to me. So before I moved to New York, remember I only went to do that five-week program. Well, I moved there with two suitcases. So when I finally got an apartment, I moved in with two suitcases, an air mattress that I bought from Kmart, which I kept, <laughs> and um, a, a pillow. That's all I moved in with. I didn't even have furniture. So the point is, is that when the when the storm hit, I lost all of everything from from my adolescence, everything I'd ever known. But this bin was sitting outside the house, like as if it had been tossed outside the window. Um, and left there, almost left for me. So I see it. I catch my breath. My mom's like, oh, my God, how did they not see this? This is crazy, Dana. Oh, my gosh. We're both like freaking out. And I'm like, can I what is this? And I start peeling something back. And it was a manila envelope. And, and it was my undergraduate degree. And I could peel it right off of the wooden plaque because um, it had been wet. And right. We still have it. It's framed in my parents' home. Um, to me, that was my sign to audition for graduate school again. Because remember in 02, I didn't get in anywhere. Right. It was devastating. And it was 07 now. And I was like, no, it wasn't 07 then. It was 06. Because you have to start the process, obviously, the year before. And it was, you know, some years later. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm reading you loud and clear. Let me go give this another shot. And I did it. And What's so special about getting into CalArts, California Institute of the Arts, which is where my master's is from, what's special about it is the night before the audition. So IRTA is what is called, is an acronym for what is called University Resident and Theater Association. And basically what they do, Steve, is they put all these schools in one place so that you can audition all at once versus going to this one, going to that one. Now there are places like Yale, Harvard, um schools on the some schools on the east coast that were not a part of that you had to go separately apply separately and go to them and i did i went to yale to apply and audition and i did the same thing for harvard so um i went uh there are about 60 65 schools there of those 60 65 schools only five were interested in me university of nebraska university of austin university of texas austin um, California into the arts, UCLA, and like one other that I'm forgetting, um, or that might be it, uh, and Rutgers, Rutgers University. Uh, they all had interests, but then you have to go through an inter- interview process. The night before the audition, I sat with the big textbook of all these schools that are going to be there. And I'm like, oh my God, where do I begin researching? And something led me to CalArts. I, I don't know why, what the rhyme or reason was, but I, I, I knew to study up and brush up on them 
And so when I got in the room with them, it was just like hand in glove. Um, it felt right. It was cohesive. And a few weeks later, I would find out that I got into California Institute of the Arts. And then a few weeks after that, I would find out that I got into Harvard. And it was the biggest sort of like pull. Like right. in 02, I didn't get in anywhere. And now years later, it's like, oh, wow, several schools want me because it wasn't just those two. It was, it was a couple of them, you know. I think uh, University of Texas Austin was virtually trying to pay me to go there. It was really, really honorable. It was like such a humbling experience and like amazing. It's like, what? Um, but I knew even when Harvard was like, no, we really like you. We want you to come to our program, come and be a part of our program. I knew that CalArts was the place for me. And that is what segued me to come to the West Coast. That was the sort of bridge. And by the end of it all, I had one goal when I graduated from CalArts in 2010, and that was to be on Treme. I'm sorry about the long-winded story to get to answer oh, no, your no, question. No, no, no. I know. I love, I love yeah. the fact that, you know, mm -hmm. that, some, that something brought you to CalArts. I always love stories like that. Like yeah, I know. Something brought special. you to that. Oh, for sure. It was so meant to be. You know, and even how I got to New York was so meant to be. Um, and when I graduated from CalArts in 2010, there was only one goal in mind, and that was very simply, since Katrina had only happened, like, what, three years prior? I was like, I have to be on that show. I wrote a letter to um, uh, David Simon himself. Uh, I wrote a letter to Alexa Fogel. I sent them headshots, cover letters, the whole nine. Um, but at the end of the day, it was Megan Lewis, a casting director based in New Orleans, that gave me a shot at Detective Leroy, um, which would be um, a recurring character. So that goal, I never intended it would only take me a couple of months. And I moved home and I was just like, all right, I'm going to go see what Hollywood South is about. And the rest is history. Like everything that you, you've seen that you complimented me on my, on, on, my, on my resume was from work from New Orleans and primarily work from Megan Lewis. Because it's like casting directors, you know, once they find somebody that they really like, they sort of like con consistently bring them in. I think any casting director will tell you that. You know what I mean? Well, after Treme, I said you threw a bunch of things, but then you also did The Butler. I did, yes. So now that came out of New Orleans also? Correct, everything. Yeah. So so what was that like? I mean, did you know that it was going to be such a uh, a movie that people love and get such critical acclaim? Did you know when you sit there and you hear about a movie? I mean, when you were auditioning for something like that, mm -hmm. do you get a little bit nervous? I mean, cause Lee Daniels is pretty big. You know I mean? It's like, it's like you know, you're not, they're not little people. No, they're not, but... Uh, to answer your question, firstly, I I read the script and I knew it was going to be brilliant. And I knew that Forrest Whitaker and Oprah Winfrey being attached to it, it's going to be great no matter what. Um, Lee Daniels, I knew, uh, the only thing I knew of him was that he was, you know, a genius as it relates to, to Precious, the film um, that he directed, Precious. And um, also he produced Monsters Ball. So I was like, man, this is the real deal. But I want you to bear in mind that I had already spent three months on a Tarantino set at that point. And that's not to slight anyone or anything, but I'd been around these like super A-list celebrities. I'd been in the run room with Quentin um, as it relates to the audition itself. I felt it slip away and I felt myself dig in and pull it back. You know what I mean? So, yes, I was nervous to be in the room with Lee Daniels because, you know, I, I, you know, I love his work. Um, but. Honestly, Steve, I still get nervous in a room. I had an audition last week, and it was the first time I was in a room with writer and writers and producers in a while. And um, well, at least since I moved to LA about four months ago, and I got nervous then. You know, I don't. I think the nerves are part of what we do, um, but I think it's having a real good grip on what this is about, what you're doing, why you're doing it. And the reality of it all. Like, don't get caught up in like the 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 false part. You know, I think healthy nerves are really, really good. They, they, it reminds you that, oh yeah, that's right. This matters to me. I feel like the day I don't have nerves, I'm, you know, it's a little, hold up, wait a minute, we need to recheck in. Right. I mean, I walked in here and I was just like, oh you're my not, god, I'm like, a little nervous. And, I said, and you're don't like, worry. why? This why? Is, it's just, it's, this is crazy. You're being crazy. It's a nice looking studio. Exactly. Uh, it's a okay, beautiful studio. So now, now, okay, you said you had already been there. How did the Tarantino role come about? The Django. How did how did that did that also come through a casting agent? Did you have to audition for that? I did, yeah. And also, it must be cool because you're in this new movie coming out. That uh -huh, uh -huh. he's one of these people that. Yeah reuses people yes he is which yes. must be such a great feeling mm -hmm. just to sit there and go one thing is to get caught cast in a tarantino movie yeah. but then you then they get recalled so how did the whole <laughs> how did the whole first one happen um 
I had been in New Orleans for about three or four months at this point. No, excuse me. I'm so sorry. At least a year. And I'd been working for a year at this point. Um, I was thinking about Treme when I said three months. Um, so I'd done a year of working, doing different, you know, single episodes like on shows like Memphis Beat. Um, I had an episode on Common Law. Um, I did the recurring on Treme second season. Um, did an indie here, uh, a, a horror film for sci-fi there. You know what I mean? I was I was working. I was consistently working. And then I got a call. I went into Reefa Megan uh, for an entirely different project that I would ultimately not book. But before I left the room for that audition, she says, before you go, I want you to take these and read, read through this. Look at these. And these were roles that they were going to cast out of California. But she says... You can do this. So I want you to read for this. She just thought I would be great for them. And so I read for the part of Bettina, which I don't know if you remember Bettina in the film. She is with uh, Django's character when he's in that blue Fauntleroy okay. uh, outfit and she's on Big Daddy's plantation. Uh, she's escorting him around and giving him a tour of the plantation. I read for that role first. I got he uh, she put me on tape based on the tape. He called me in um, and I was in the room with Megan and Vicky Thomas. Um, and I read for Bettina again. This was my callback. It just was not working though. It wasn't lock and key. It wasn't right. And he was coaching me and directing me and I was, you know, doing my best to knock it out of the park. And, uh, I could feel it slipping away, but I honestly, Steve, I was so happy to be in the room with this man for 45 minutes that I didn't, I was like, I already won. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, I can't believe I've gotten to even to this level to even be able to audition for these folks. And uh, before I, he was like, but wait, before you go, I want to talk to you about this character. Um, and he talked to me about Cora. And Cora um, was not really this greatly developed character. Like she was kind of like in the wings and um, uh, she was, you know, submissively like this house servant. And uh, he didn't know what what concepts. I think they had like older and more buxom even and uh, the traditional archetype of a mammy. And you know, I don't entirely fit that necessarily like the traditional uh, version of what that is. Um, but he still wanted me to play with the the concept of it. And he threw some lines at me. And so we did some improvisation things right there in the audition. And two weeks later, I found out I booked Cora. And Cora was supposed to originally be four works of work. It turned into three months. And so for three months, I was there on set with these guys every day. You know, Sam Jackson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Christoph Waltz, Jamie Foxx. Uh, Carrie Washington uh, every day um, and it was pretty remarkable because Qu Quentin before it was all said and done was adding me to more scenes like it was just like he was having fun and so was I and so we were having fun together um, so when I auditioned I felt like I won just getting in the room. So anything beyond that was right. like, as we refer to it in New Orleans, land yap. And land yap means it's just a little extra, you know. Land yap. Land yap, yeah. Now, you do the, you do Django. Uh-huh. And you're, basically you're, this, the role's built bigger for you. You know, you put on work. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, do this. Now, does that start getting you some buzz because anything you know it's like if you you know if i was something who was a casting director or someone doing a project i would sit mm -hmm. there and go okay wow because you know how the stories go around but sure. if, if i said wow tarantino auditioned for this part it was supposed to be four weeks ended up being three months did you did you start getting some buzz because your next projects were you know you did american horror Story, yeah. you did some good no, stuff it, it, there was definitely a climb but i wanted i want to be clear about something i feel like i have to say this um, because it was such a lesson for me. I never felt like after Django, I'm the hot stuff. Right. I'm everything. Look at what I've done. I'm using this for all press and everything. It wasn't like that, but I definitely felt way more confident. I felt more confident in my ability and I felt less tolerable of like BS a little bit. But I did have a concept that I thought this was going to be when the film was released, I thought it was going to be like this huge catapulting like situation for me where, oh, I'm next level now. Not in an egotistical way, right. but in like the sort of what a growing way. Exactly. In like the basic way, like you would think any being a part of any great project would be. You would think it's going to the fruition is going to be huge. And the thing is, it was the fru the fruition and the sort of payback afterwards and the accolades and the sort of um, 
work that I got after was huge. It was like a slow climb of success. Um, but it's not what I had kind of imagined it to be. I think I drummed it up more than what it was. And it taught me the most valuable lesson. And that is simply, um, I think, who is the quote? I don't remember who said this, but I'll never forget. Um, you are only as good as your last project. That concept of like, how, how however it is you think this is going to play out, it's never really that way. So you have to always stay on your grind. And And Sam told me this. He said, you know, I was, we were in between um, scenes, like they didn't need us. So we were sitting outside his trailer and we were just shooting a breeze. And I was just like, I'm nervous, man. I just, I don't want this to stop. I'm so, you know, I don't want the train to stop. And he was just like, he was like nervous, you're gonna be fine, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, it's easy. You're Sam Jackson, so you're fine, but right. you know. And he looked at me and he said, he said, baby girl, my hustle is no different from yours. The only difference between us is my mortgage. That's it. I still have to hustle every single day. And now looking at this man's career, like it, it's no wonder he's got like hundreds of credits in films. You know what I mean? Like it's no wonder he is always working because he is always on the hustle. He will always be working, you know? And so I adopted that same thought process. Like I'm, I have to always be on my game. You know, I can't ever sit back and think, oh, well, I got it. I think the day I'm like, oh, I got this It's whatever is this. That's a scary day. You know, I feel like we're ever evolving, always learning, you know, and, until they throw dirt in our face. And even after that, you know, maybe there's a lesson for something else beyond what we can even understand. Uh, anyway, I'm totally getting off target, but no, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. So it's just that I hear that a lot. You know, people always know you always have to hustle, and it's yeah. true. There's always a thing. So now, then, after you know you're, you're doing well, yeah, and then you then you end up you get a cast and True Detective. Yeah. Now, yeah. once again, did you think that because both the I mean those that had a buzz. I know a guy who was in that show. He played one of the just one of the scenes where he played like the guy with the crazy hair in the one sure. jail scene. Sure. His name's Brad Carter. And mm -hmm. he said after that, even just off that audition and after being booked, mm -hmm. when he walked into a casting room, because mm -hmm. the industry watched True Detective, it was mm -hmm. a lot different. Mm -hmm. Once again, you go from a acclaimed work and then you go to American Horror Story, then you do you mm -hmm. get True Detective. True Detective. Now yeah. was now what was that what was that role like and what was it like working, I mean, with Carrie and Nick. Um, True Detective was, again, another situation where we didn't know what the character was going to be. Kathleen was like, I think when I started, Kathleen hadn't even had a name yet. They just needed um, a secretary type that could kind of handle the banter of Woody and Matthew's characters and improv with them if, if need be. And so I was called in. I didn't even actually audition for the role of Kathleen. I was called up the day before and was like, hey, can you go in and just kind of be a secretary and just kind of like, it's not even really written. Just go do your thing that they, your improv thing. And I was like, yeah, of course. They paying me? Of course. I mean, if they wasn't, I'd do it for free, but whatever. And it, it turned into from one episode into six. Now, there were things that Carrie, myself, and Nick played around with, like the concepts of how Kathleen was like different moments when she's on the phone with one of her girlfriends or uh, even playing with the idea of a backstory with her, but it didn't fit at the end of the day um, with the sort of culture of the show. So my role was significantly cut down and I, I'm not mad at that. I, I, I watched that season and it was, I thought fantastic. Um, and I wasn't mad about not being as prominently a part of it as I thought I would be. Um, I understood it. She didn't, it, what we had discovered on the day with Kathleen didn't really go with the cohesiveness of the film. I mean, of the, uh, the series itself. Um, and it made sense to me why I went that way. And there were so many other really great things that were so necessary to the sort of forward movement of the plot. Um, but that's not to say I didn't have fun. And it's not to say that Carrie and Nick both didn't love me and I didn't love them. It was great. You know, Woody, I mean, I can't even say enough good amazing things about that man like i just love woody harrelson is part of the reason why i came back too you know he was like where's kathleen you know um because we would have this like banter in between takes and we would be silly we play blackjack we would you know i don't really like these la folks that would come to new orleans uh, or louisiana rather um they had such an energy about them that was like 
that said, don't talk to us sometimes, or like, you're just local hire. So stay in your little area and we'll stay in ours. And I was just like, man, I don't, that's not my thing. Um, and you have to remember, I just graduated from grad school. So I had all this knowledge and a right. master's degree. I was like, you got a master's? Okay, come talk to me. You know, so I felt confident in speaking to them and just like being open and being who I am. So, and I think that's a part of it, not apologizing. Um, I mean, it's just ridiculous, the concept of like not being able to say hello to someone and you're working with them. That's like crazy. But it was a it was a chill set. You know, Carrie Fukunaga is just a genius. Um, he was really good to me. He was great. Um, Nick Pizzolatto is extremely intense, but he was also very cool with me. Very, very chill. We bounced ideas off of each other. Very supportive of me. Um, uh, so, yeah. So it was a good. It was a good experience. It was good. I I was. It's so funny. It's like crazy to the concept that there's like six episodes that I'm actually in. It's right. weird. It's like really bizarre. It's a split second here, or it's like me and uh, Woody's banter and me warning him about who's in the office there, or it's like, you know, I'm flipping a page for some meeting that they're having, you know. But I'm so grateful to have even just been a fly on the wall because it was a really great experience. Like truly. Now the hateful eight. Uh-huh. Now, how, first of all, <laughs> how did that come about? And I know one thing is also when we said, if you, in a Tarantino movie and he likes you, that's great. But then we also forgot to mention that when Tarantino makes a movie, it's a bunch of years later. So he makes the next one. Yeah. It's like one of those ones because he's, the guy's a, is brilliant. But no, so now how did that come about? Did he know? I mean, how did the whole process come out? So, about Hateful Eight. Um came about so last year is almost so uh it's almost a year and a half ago now so it was last not april that just passed but the april before um i got a call and uh i missed the call and then i got a voicemail and i listened to the voicemail freaking out because it was quentin mind you over the years since django had been like what two three years i would stay in constant contact with him not in a badgering way, but I would email my boy because like I don't know how to explain how much, you know, love I came to have for him. He was incredibly supportive, like and it was always uh, important for me to keep that relationship going, not because he's Quentin Tarantino, but to me, he was cute and he was so like supportive of this green actor who didn't know what she was doing with all these crazy seasoned actors. And he was just really, really supportive. Um, so we kept in touch via email. Um, he asked me to ride on a float with him because he was King. He was grand marshal, I believe, or King of Bacchus or something that year, um, for Mardi Gras, but I couldn't do it because I was actually out here in LA shooting togetherness, which was my first Los Angeles project, um, with the Duplass brothers, who, which we'll talk about because yes, cause I yeah. love that show. Oh man, they're so great. So anyway, I get a phone call April, not a, you know, of last year or whatnot. And it's like, he's very simply saying like, I have. Uh, I want to ask you something, so give me a call. Um, uh, when you get this, left his number, and I called him back, and I called him back like, you? Hi! Like, freaking out, you know, like, not too much, but kind of, and he was laughing, and I was laughing. I was like, it's so good to hear your voice. He's like, no, it's good to hear yours. It was really endearing, like, genuinely, like, man, I haven't talked to you in so long. How are you, friend, you know? And that's when he tells me. He says, listen, I wrote this script. Um, and at first we didn't think we were going to do it, but now I know I'm going to do it. And I wrote you a part in it. I always did. I always had a part. I always had a part for you in it. Um, and I was like, Q, are you serious? And he was just like, yeah, I'm real serious. And so are you free on X amount of dates? He told me, he told me, um, these like April, whatever it was, 13th through 16th. And I was like, Quentin, if I was getting married, <laughs> I would pause the wedding. What are you talking about? So we would laugh at that. And yeah, eventually he told me, yeah, you're going to receive something in the mail in a couple of days. And just all I want you to do is read. I don't want you to put any pressure. Don't do anything else. Just read. And I was like, I'm so excited. I'm going to go to the store and get new highlighter pens and like sticky tabs. Because my whole thing, Steve, is like I break a script down. Like I will dissect a script like nobody's business. Like I'll have sticky tabs for each character, what each character will say about my character, what's going on with this character's arc. And this one, like I treat it like a map, literally like a map. 
And so he knows I do that because he saw my script for Django because he was like, what is all this stuff? This is cool. What is going on with all this? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just a little anal, you know, and he was just like, that's so cool. You know, so he knows how I am about my scripts. So when I told him I'm going to get new highlighters and sticky tabs, <laughs> he was like, that's so awesome, honey. You know, like it was like a mutual, like just beyond excitement. So um, we they brought me out here to L.A. Um, we did three days of rehearsal and then on Saturday, I can't remember the exact date, we put on a staged reading um, uh, of The Hateful Eight at The Ace. It was like 1,800 to 2,000 people. It was like a three-hour event with an in- intermission and he introduced all of us. It was so funny because we were talking about my name at the top, right? And uh, when he was introducing each one of us, in each who's reading each character he gets to me and he's like uh and introducing this wonderful actress from new orleans uh dana wait honey how do you say your last name again in front of the entire audience and i busted out there steve and i was like it's gloria <laughs> and i was like screaming and i had peace signs in my hands and like i had my hands above my head and i was just like elated to be there and like the entire audience just erupted in like applause and was like yeah we love her too we don't even know who she is but we love her too you know it was such an experience um so fast forward now that was the stage reading fast forward some months and then i got a call from wardrobe and that we were doing this thing we had rehearsal process in november um i came on board in february and uh did about a month I guess maybe two weeks in February, three weeks, and then did another two weeks in um, April in no, L.A. No, so you shot in L.A. We shot in L.A. and in Telluride, Colorado. Okay, and now it's, it's a Western. It is a Western. And so mm-hmm. now what is your character like a, a West? I mean, how did, and what's it like playing a period piece? Because, you know, you've, you've I mean, you've played different New Orleans stuff. And, yeah. you know, and then Lee Butler, that was, that was an older piece. But what's it like doing a Western? And, with people thinking, you know, Tarantino with a Western, you know, yeah. how, how cool. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, so what's it like playing a Western part? It was pretty extraordinary. And we had our own, like, Quinn and I had our own, like, sort of concepts about Minnie's subtext and subplot. You know what I mean? Like, what what she, you know, what her past history potentially was. Um, and, you know, remember, Django wasn't a Western. He considers it a Southern. But it was still period. And I still had an experience with um, the sort of gunslinging you know, uh, whole concept of uh, what the South is. and But you're right, this is a traditional Western. So um, I don't know. I feel like Minnie is her own person in this, in this world. She's her own... Um, she, she she belongs in this world, but at the same time, she's she's different and unique in her own way. Um, first of all, she's a woman of color that owns, you know, a property, which is called Minnie's Haberdashery. It's her name on the door. It's her place, um, which is, you know, pretty much unheard of because this is taking place six to 12 years after uh, the Civil War. Um, so we just had the abolishment of slavery and not too long before this. And here's this, you know, woman of color up in the mountains, you know, owning a stagecoach stopover, which is exceptional. And I think it speaks volumes about um, the the concepts of just that sort of uh, discussion, you know. Uh, it's why I love Jackie Brown so much, you know, his film Jackie Brown. It's like at that point in time, there was no, nobody was putting, a, a, a you know, a woman of color in a lead role like that. Um, and I'm not saying that Minnie's a lead role. I'm just saying, like, I think it's it's telling that she's this proprietor. She she's 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 boss. She, what she says goes, you know, for for all intents and purposes. Um, but uh, shooting the Hateful Eight was an extraordinary experience, and playing Minnie and preparing for her was amazing. It was just awesome. What made it so amazing to prepare for her? Well, uh, I don't know if I can say that. Uh, I don't want to reveal too much. Okay. You, no, but but there. No, no, no. It's totally fine. There is something specific that Minnie does that's very synonymous with her character, and I personally, Dana, don't do that. And so I had to learn. Like it was like a you know a whole thing with um my hands and figuring things out and 
working with it and like working with it in the cold because what's going to happen when I get on on location and like it's my hands are cold like so I would work in the cold in the rain um, uh, trying to perfect this particular action and because um, I knew on the day I was going to have to show up Steve and I was going to have to be solid and it wasn't it wasn't going to be a game. So I I have this personal rule, something I learned on a set of Django and uh, my very first day working on Django, I had to go up these, this huge, massive flight of stairs and I had a 35, 30, 30, 35 pound candelabra in my right hand and I had to collect my huge costume, which was probably about 40 pounds. Um, maybe not, maybe about 20, but it was a huge costume with a bustling skirt with my left hand. So I'm like trying to go up the steps like this. And, uh, it was just, I was tripping every take. I was tripping, not the, even in, and then in between, he was like, let's take a break. We'll take a moment. And in between the break, in between takes, they have to load the camera or whatever. I just kept going up and down the stairs. I was like, I don't care who sees me. If I keep, I got to figure this out. And I'll, and I'll never forget I adopted this philosophy. Like, I want to get these shots and these takes in three takes or less. That's my personal rule. Now, if there's anything beyond that and it's on other departments or it's on this or the director didn't feel right about it or whatever, but it's not, I want it, I want to be on point. Right. So I don't want to burn film. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I got to be on point. I want to be able to be dependent on, you know what I mean? I want them to know that that's a solid actor. She's going to show up on the day. So for months prior to, I was doing my own personal prepping on dialect work, on my actions, on uh, the way she would move in a corset, um, on my walk, on my gait, on the sound of my voice, you know, everything. Um, and I mean, it's, just, you know, it's, it's months and months and months and months of work for like what is reduced to, you know, potential moments, you know what I mean? But it's, it's worth it. It's, it's about, um, I don't know. It's just about your moment and what you put into it, you know. Now, when's the movie come out? Is it just January? It's a soft open on Christmas Day, and then everywhere on June, January eighth. Okay, so they're getting a soft open, so it can get Oscar. I'm guessing it can get Oscar run. I'm I'm sure of it. Yeah, I think that they definitely want to look at the ensemble, like possible supporting you know, everything. You know what I mean? Best uh, best actor actress is my guess. I mean, I couldn't imagine them not submitting for this because their dynamic performances like everybody pushed themselves everybody was like we are showing up and everybody really 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 wanted to be there that's the difference so soft opening that means it'll open on christmas day in la yeah for sure but i'll be flying back from yeah i think there'll be some places where it'll be in christmas day no, I'm, I'm sure flying back it. from me and my girlfriend are flying back mm -hmm. from back east on christmas day uh so. but wherever you are back east though i think oh well, you're flying on the day yeah yeah okay so we're running out of time i want to talk are about, you kidding I, yeah we only have like seven minutes left that is crazy i talk too much no, steve no that's the way it's supposed to. i thought you were oh, nervous you were nervous goodness. now you're going wait a second it's, all, it's almost an hour i can't believe it. it's already almost been an hour that's crazy togetherness ah uh -huh. <laughs> i the it, season just started this past sunday we didn't know because because you're on yeah. this season right you weren't on last season uh, I was on the first season and I'm on this season too. I'm glad you told me. I didn't know it. <laughs> I didn't know either. I was sitting there. We go. I go. I was checking it because I, I heard, I heard on getting yet. on was on too, and that's just very funny showing. Oh, HBO. getting on is on too. They both oh, started on Sunday, goodness. and I'm like, did you set the DVR? Joanne's like, I don't know. I, said, I can't wait to come and watch both of them now. They're so it's, good. Yeah. So yeah, what was it like both. working with the Duplass brothers? The Duplass brothers feel like cousins. They feel like family. I mean, we're not related, but because they're both from, they're you know. They're from New Orleans. Uh, obviously, they're brothers. They're both from New Orleans. And they went to a high school where I had ex-boyfriends go. You know what I mean? That whole Catholic school thing and the vibe of NOLA. Like, I just feel like they're family. And it's not just them. It's Steve Zissis, too. Like, that is also from New Orleans. And so it's this whole crew. And, and one of our producers, um, uh, uh, there's lots of people. Like, uh, it's just, uh, it's a trip. Like, they literally feel like family and they're so open um, and receptive to whatever concepts, ideas, improv, anything you bring in. They're going to be like, all right, yeah, let's try it. Or, okay, well, maybe, uh, you know, um, Jay is brilliant at what he does. Mark is brilliant at what he does. And together they're just unstoppable. They're just, they're great guys too. They happen to be awesome human beings. Additionally, 
and now now that's so you worked in LA for that. So now you're pretty much LA bound. You're staying out here now. Yeah, I moved here. So because well, you're working for everybody. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know about working for everybody. Yeah, I'm working for everybody. Get the hate play <laughs> coming out. So no, I'm looking at your uh, IMDb. And uh-huh. you have a few other, uh, the Midnight Special, what is that? Midnight Special is a Jeff Nichols film um, uh, about a young man who's got special powers. And Michael Shannon's in it, and Joel Edgerton, um, and uh, Kirsten Dunst. And I play a child psychiatrist, and I talk to the young man um, who is exceptional, by the way, who's got these gifts. And that's basically the, a sum up of the plot. Also, um, Adam Driver's in it, too. Uh, I think it might be a really great film. Um, Jeff Nichols is just remarkable. Wonderful, wonderful human being. So great. He's directing right now a film called Loving or Being Loving or Loving. I think it's just Loving. And it's, you know, I believe it is. Yeah. Could be wrong. I'm not sure. Well, I also have to ask you, how did singing the national anthem, Cardinals vs. Saints, uh, it was game three. Yeah. Uh, How did that come up? So my one of my best friends in the world is the um, director of the appearance team of the Saint Stations. Um, she is also formerly a Saint Station, and she is related to um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jared Sampson. And Jared was at a party at Drew Brees' house, and he's there with um, uh, the uh, daughter of uh, Benson. Uh, excuse me, the granddaughter. Um, and basically they were at this party together and they were watching a screening of the butler and jared yells out oh my god that's dana i know dana and she says oh my god let's get her to sing the oh and she's like and she sings she gave us our our, her cd to sing the national anthem because at that point it had been on a hold they had other names they wanted to fill in and she was like oh well can she do it for this game and and he was like well yeah i'll see and that was it they saw me in the butler and they brought me in to come sing and it was Honest to God, one of the scariest, scariest experiences because you can't of my up. life. You can't if you forget a word, they're gonna make fun of you. Of and, my and life. It's just awful. I mean, if you miss it? a note, they're gonna make fun of you. So you are yeah. you wired? Do you hear yourself? Yeah, I had singing? earrings and I was mic'd and everything, and it was a whole process for me. I was doing sprints and uh, ab work and belting the song to prepare my abdominal tract and my diaphragm for the nerves that were going to come because the first thing that goes when you're super nervous is your voice and I was like I can't have that so I started wearing myself down like I'd run sprints and then I would try to belt the song like sing the whole song full through and I was doing crunches and sit-ups and the whole nine yards I was running on the treadmill singing the national anthem um and yeah so I prepped for like three weeks straight like that just straight going like a beast at it and uh, on the day I showed up, you know, but it's so funny. I stepped onto the field to go walk out to go get in my spot and I stopped myself and I was like, oh, my God. And because I was just wasn't ready. Yet. And I ran to my family who was on the sidelines and I ran to them and I was like, take my hand. And we all the four of us bowed our head and we just and I was like, daddy, go. And he just led us in a quick prayer. And at this point, the person that was on me, the assistant on me was like, Dana, we must go now. Right. And I was like, and he just <laughs> finished a prayer. And, I, and we were like, all we were at the same time, we were like, amen. And then I ran, I had to ran, run back to my spot um, on the, on the 50 yard line. And there's a picture of us, the me and my, my only one who's not in the picture is my older brother. He was offshore. He was out of town at the time. And it's me, my younger brother, my mom, my dad, um, with our heads bowed. And I knew at that point I was ready then. Before right. that, I wasn't ready, but at that, after that, I was ready. Okay. Well, yeah. I want to I thank you for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, thank now, you so much. Now, do you tweet? Oh, yeah, I do. And what's your Twitter handle? Dana Gurrier. So it's just and spell that. So D A N A G O U R R I E R. Now, do you tweet a lot? No, I need. Everybody's getting on me about tweeting. They're you like, you tweet. need to tweet more. And I'm like, nobody cares what I'm saying. No, they do. They do. You think? Yeah, people, you know. I don't know. What am I going to say, Steve? I you know, know what? I'll tweet something today. Was on this show with Steve at, Cooper. At and it was, Cooper Talks. Right? And it was at Cooper Talks. Had a wonderful time. I'll do that when I leave here. Right. There you, know, you go. There you go. So tweet. That's start your tweet. I'm exactly. Tweeting. So, and, and now, do you, uh, where else can people find Instagram, you? Instagram, Facebook. I have a Facebook fan page additionally. So, just your name. Yeah. And you can Google me and also IMDb. So, I'm out there, like, right. you know. Well, I want to thank you. And thank people, you, so my dear. People uh, follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet all the time. I tweet funny stuff. I've been a little lazy lately. Um, Instagram, Cooper Talk One, because someone has Cooper Talk. Also, my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 400 and 
40 episodes, I think, up there. And you can email me there, too, cooper at coopertalk.net. Tell me who you want on the show, and I'll see if I can get them. If they don't come on, that's all right. And uh, same as iTunes and Stitcher and all that. And don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com, my low-sodium cookbook after I had my health problems. It's 120 recipes, easy to make. Get it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or get it at stopthesalt.com, because that way I make more money. And I'll sign it for you. So do that. So follow me on Twitter. Follow Dana. Keep listening to Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you guys next week.